And we're going to be going to uh, Psalm 33 here in a moment. Psalm 33. And as we go to Psalm 33, we're going to look at God's faithful love. God's faithful love. God's enduring love. And just think with me about faithfulness. We're in a series dealing with God's love for us. Uh, God loves you. God loves us. And it's not a love that's fickle. God's love for us is not a love that changes day by day. It's not a love where you could pull petals off of a rose and he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. No, God's love is faithful. God's love for you endures. We're going to go to Psalm 33 in a moment. That's on page 433 in your pew Bible, if you're turning there and uh, following along in the pew Bible. Uh, think with me about faithful love, though. Uh, Chris Spielman, who knows of Chris Spielman? A few of you might know Chris Spielman. He was a football player. Uh, and he was a linebacker, one of the NFL's best linebackers. He had starred at Ohio State in a career that put him in the College Football Hall of Fame. After going a state in a career that, after going, after going professional, he played on four Pro Bowl teams. Then in 1998, at the top of his form, he sat out a year. The NFL and his fans were moved to the back burner because his wife was fighting breast cancer. Stephanie Spielman and her doctors fought the cancer aggressively when chemotherapy made her hair fall out. Her husband, Chris, shaved his head as well as a gesture of solidarity. All that year, he ran the household. He took care of the children. He supported his wife. He returned to football in the 1999 season only to retire. And I think that was with the Browns, actually. Only when they, when they first came back. The Browns went out of Super Bowl that year, by the way. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, he came back and he went and he retired before the season actually began because his heart was at home. His heart was at home with his wife. Stephanie Spielman battled her disease for more than a decade before passing away in 2009. After she died, Chris said, She was my only girlfriend. Chris Spielman was a husband who was what a husband should be, had faithful love for his wife, and his love for his wife was greater than his love for football. And a few years ago, I watched a program called A Football Life about him and it brought tears to my eyes to see his, his devoted, faithful love to his wife. And that's a public example, a public example of faithful love. And if I recall watching that program titled A Football Life, he did love football too. But his love for his wife was greater. So he stepped away from football for his wife. And I think that we could find many examples at Bethel Friends of faithful love as well. Faithful love for their spouses going through many difficulties. Faithful love for their children or grandchildren going through many difficulties. Chris Spielman is just a public example. We're in a sermon series titled God Loves You. And I want to talk today about God's faithful love. God's faithful love. God's enduring love. My theme today, God's love is faithful. God's love endures. 
God's love is unfailing. God's love is faithful. God's love endures. God's love is unfailing. And oftentimes we only maybe apply that to ourselves. Although maybe when we're dealing with difficult times, we even question that about ourselves. But we're going to get into a, pl- a place in this, in this Psalm, Psalm 33. We see God's faithful love over all of creation. God has orchestrated all of creation to show his faithful love to humanity. All of creation. It's not just our world around us. I want to focus on Psalm 33, verses 5, 18, and 22. However, first I want to read Psalm 33, 1 through 3, and I want to put the psalm in context. So if you're there, Psalm 33, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Um, my translation has a, a little subtitle uh, titled, The Steadfast Love of the Lord. The Steadfast Love of the Lord. Shall for join the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And that's the first three verses. Notice how it begins. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. A problem begins when old truths no longer wow us. You ever think about the powerful truth of God's love for us? God's faithful love for us? God's love that endures? That we don't have to earn our salvation? We don't have to run so fast or jump so high or anything like that. We don't have to uh, add up our, our sins versus our good works to see if we're good enough. No, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, we're saved by grace through faith so no one can boast. These truths are amazing. And God's love is faithful. Psalm 33 is in the first book of the Psalms. The Psalms are divided into a number of books. And the Psalms are all pointing to Jesus. And this Psalm, Psalm 33, is is pointing to Jesus as the psalmist writes about God's loyal love. What did God's loyal love do? What did God's faithful love do? God's faithful love sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. That's what God's loyal love did. Last Wednesday, I had the pleasure and privilege of speaking at a Lytton luncheon at Holy Family. And there were a number of other churches there. And, and I was given Matthew 27, verses 47 through 49 to talk about. And, but except I couldn't start at verse 47. I chose to start at verse 46 to put it in context. And in verse 46, Jesus is hanging there on the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. And the people respond. They didn't know what was going on. They said, what's he doing? Maybe he's crying out for Elijah. They said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Somebody gave him some sour wine. Then eventually, a verse or two later, he gives up his spirit and dies. They didn't figure it out. Jesus had to die. That's God's faithful love, God's enduring love. He sent Jesus. Jesus lived the righteous life we could not live. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death we could not die, taking our sins upon the cross. And rising again. He had to be there. They didn't figure it out. Have we figured out? Do we understand that? That's God's faithful love in action. 
coming to take our place on the cross, to, to the great rescue, the great exchange. He gave us his righteousness. He took our sins upon himself. That's God's faithful love. Interestingly enough, if you contrast Christianity with any of the other religions in the world, even with Judaism, it's different. Moses lived as an elderly, as an elderly man at 120 years old before he died. You look at Confucius and Buddha and these other religious founders. They lived to an old age and died in, in victory or in triumph, not Jesus. He died humiliated on the cross, naked, shamed. He did that for us. He did that for our salvation. That's God's faithful love. This psalm is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. And this psalm seems to connect with Psalm 32 as a hymn of praise to the God who made all things. This is Psalm 32, hymn of praise to the God who made all things. This Psalm 33 goes right into shout for joy, O the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. By the way, we should never stop at Jesus' dead on the cross because he rose again. Even as we go through the Lenten season, we want to remember that. We are more than victors in Christ Jesus. And because he lives, we too can live again. But in God's faithful love, God's faithful love in action, he sent Jesus to save us. In the next four, uh, two verses, Psalm 33, verses four and five, we see God's word is upright and we see that the earth is full of his steadfast love. This is about God's steadfast love, God's faithful love, God's enduring love. The earth, the whole earth is filled with his steadfast love. Verse four, uh, well, let's read it. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves uprightness. I mean, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So verse four begins with four, which means explanation. We're talking about praise. We're talking about shouting uh, to the Lord uh, in, in worship and joy and praise and exaltation. And now it's gonna explain why. For the word of the Lord is upright. That's why we sing praises to the Lord. All his work is done in faithfulness. The Lord is faithful to us. What work is this referring to? You know, this could be referring to some military victory. Though it says all his work, could it be creation? Could it be creation? One particular uh, uh, professor wrote, two character qualities of God that the writer stressed in this second section of the psalm are that Yahweh is dependable and righteous. We can rely on everything that he says and does. And he does what is right in faithfulness for his people. And this is a quote, I think, from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. What a pity it is that this earth, which is so full of God's goodness, should be so empty of his praises and that of the multitudes that live upon his bounty. There are so few that live to his glory. What a pity it is that this earth, which is so full of God's goodness, should be so empty of his praises. Verse five, he loves righteousness and justice. Think about that. The Lord likes righteousness and justice. That is powerful. God is just. Righteousness and justice are similar terms. To be righteous means that he loves things that are just. Loving righteousness and justice means doing acts of righteousness and justice. 
They're not just abstract attributes, but they involve actions, whether directed toward God or his people. The Lord does acts that are righteous and justice. What if God did not love righteousness and justice? Do you ever think about that? The world could be a lot worse. How do we know right from wrong? We know things are wrong because God is good. And he created us with that understanding. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. This idea of the steadfast love of the Lord is a major term in scripture. It means his loyal love. God's love is loyal. That's why he ended up seeing Jesus, sending Jesus to us. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. That's why he has a future plan. His love is loyal. God's love is loyal. God's love is steadfast, faithful, enduring over all the earth. Look at that. He, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth, this is verse five. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Some translations say it's over the whole earth. So I thought of a little activity we could do. All of us take a deep breath right now. Breathe in. Breathe out whenever you're ready. <laughs> that breath is from the Lord. That breath is from the Lord. Every breath we take is from the Lord. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Every breath we take is from the Lord. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 in the New Testament even says, Jesus holds everything together by the word of his power. Every breath you take, that oxygen you take in is from the Lord. In fact, some would say that the very special covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh, was made in a way that you breathe in and breathe out as you say, Yahweh. Now imagine, think with me about the steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. The steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Imagine it's 70 degrees or 72 if you prefer or 80 if you prefer. I don't, but if you do, that's okay. You walk outside, it's sunny. It's sunny. You do not have much to do and there is a comfortable chair right outside in the sun. You sit and you enjoy the sunshine. As you enjoy the sunshine, you do not know it, but your body is getting vitamin D from the sun. Additionally, your emotions are getting charged from the sun. At least that's normally how it works. That is the steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Now imagine the sound of a gentle rain. Maybe you don't like sunshine. Maybe you're a vampire. Now imagine the sound of a gentle rain. Is that peaceful? That's a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth, sustaining his creation, sustaining us. Imagine the beauty of the snow. That's a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Imagine the beauty of the ocean, you know, sitting on a beach, listening to the surf, listening to the waves, watching the ocean. That's a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. You know how important the ocean is to earth in general? I mean, it's just amazing how God set up all of his creation. Imagine fire, sitting by a fire, enjoying the warmth of a fire, enjoying the twinkling of a candle, enjoying the smell of a fall bonfire. That is a steadfast love of the Lord, of the whole earth. And some of it's just purely emotional. Some of it's practical. Some of it's you need it for warmth. Some of it for other things. That is a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Imagine a walk in the woods. You see the beautiful flowers. 
You see some wildflowers as you enter and exit the woods. You smell them. You see deer on the path. You see the sun rays coming through the woods. You sit on a bench and rest a while. That is the steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Imagine the moon at night. That is the steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Whether it's practical to give some brightness, some light at night, or whether you're just enjoying the harvest moon or whatever it might be. Imagine the stars. That's a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. And in a lot of that, what I just shared might be emotions. We enjoy sitting in the sun. We might enjoy the pitter-patter of the rain. We might enjoy the beauty of the snow. We might enjoy the beauty of the ocean. But we don't realize all these are, there's processes behind these things, keeping the earth working for us, giving us oxygen, protecting us. That's a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. So let's think about some of those processes because this says in that verse, in verse five, it says the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord or the, or the steadfast love of the Lord is over the whole earth, depending on your translation. So just think about this for a moment. Uh, pastor and writer J.D. Greer shares about this. He says, scientists say that the life on earth, scientists say that life on earth depends on multiple factors that are so precise that if they were off by even a hair, life could not exist. They call it the Goldilocks principle. Things are just right for human life. That's a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Here's some examples. The makeup of the atmosphere is very exact, yet it's the difference between life and death. If some of those levels were even slightly off, for example, if the level of oxygen dropped by 6%, we would all suffocate. If it rose by 4%, our planet would erupt into a giant fireball and we'd all die. Or if the CO2 were just a little higher or just a little bit lower, say 0.01%, then the earth would either become an oven or have, an, or have no atmosphere at all and we'd all die. Or this, this is a really cool one to me. I never heard this one until recently. The water molecule is the only molecule whose solid form, ice, is less dense than its liquid form. Which means that when it freezes, it floats. Get this. If ice did not float, it would sink to the bottom, and the whole ocean would eventually freeze from the bottom up. And we would all die. Or the distance of the earth from the sun. If we were 2% closer to the sun... The planet would be too hot for water to exist, and we'd all die, 2%. And then there's a tilt of the earth, which is set in an ideal 23.5 degrees, which we've learned is perfect for temperatures and tides and such. You probably never thought about it. But if earth was not tilted, temperatures would be extreme, and we'd all die, at least the humans. One more for fun. We've learned, this is really cool, that if Jupiter wasn't the size and in the orbit it is, astronomers predict that there would be 10,000 times the number of asteroid strikes right here on Earth. And we'd probably all die. Jupiter is like the, I don't get this basketball reference, but some of you will. Jupiter is like the Luke May of planets, setting picks on asteroids so the Earth can get open for the three-pointer of life. Without it, our planet would be pummeled with asteroids and life could never exist. One scientist said, the greatest miracle of all time, without any close second, is the existence of life on our planet. That is the steadfast love of the Lord 
over the whole earth. Now let's do it again. Everybody take a deep breath. Breathe out when you're ready. Just make sure you do. That is a steadfast love of the Lord over the whole earth. Every breath we take, we take in the Lord. Whether we recognize it or not, every breath we take, we take in the Lord. It's proof of the Lord's existence, really. Having that oxygen to breathe in and breathe out. We see how this works out in the next few verses. Verse six, the Lord created everything by his word, by his breath. The description is consistent with Genesis 1.16, which indicates that God spoke the heavenly luminaries into existence. God spoke them into existence. The Lord of creation is the God of revelation. This is distinctive from other ancient world religions. Other ancient world religions had myths of creation involving a creative word, but did not tie that to that act to any subsequent history. In the biblical text, the God of history who interacts with his people is the same God who spoke the world into existence. The God of history who interacts with us, with his people, is the same God who spoke creation into existence. And this brings together the general revelation of creation and the special revelation that God gave to his people. We're gonna jump ahead to verses 18 through 19 and we're gonna see that God sees all. Look at verses 18 through 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. There's that word again, steadfast love, enduring love, faithful love, covenantal love. Verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. We must hope in God's steadfast love. This means his loyal love. Do we hope in his steadfast love? He alone can deliver us. Therefore, we hope in God. Psalm 33, verse 22. We're jumping to the last verse. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let. This seems to be a request. This is a request of the Lord. This psalmist, the psalmist is asking that the Lord's steadfast, enduring, faithful love be upon them. This is a request as they hope in him. Do we hope in him? Do we ask for his steadfast, enduring love? Steadfast love is faithful love. There's another passage which just came to mind, and so I want to share it with you. Psalm 90.14 is another passage that talks about God's faithful love, God's covenantal love, God's enduring love. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all your days. I need that in the morning. I think we all do. We need to be like this psalmist, Psalm 90, verse 14, and say, Lord, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Time and again, the Bible shows us examples of God's loyal love for those who have been even disloyal to him. God did not stop loving Adam and Eve even after they had violated his one restriction in the Garden of Eden. He punished them, but he never quit loving them. God did not stop loving Noah, even though he dishonored the grace of God, uh, even though he dishonored the grace God had shown his in saving his family from the flood by laying naked in a drunken stupor before his sons. God did not stop loving him. 
God did not stop loving Abraham, even though he sought relief from famine in in Egypt instead of trusting God to provide for him. Even though he tried to fulfill God's promise of a son through his own ingenuity, even though on two separate occasions, Abraham lied about the identity of his wife. God did not stop loving him. But another example, God did not stop loving Moses. Even though he committed murder and later violated God's command by losing his temper and striking the rock of provision, God punished Moses by denying him entrance into the promised land. Later, he showed his love and mercy by allowing Moses to stand with Elijah in the presence of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. God did not stop loving Moses either. Another one, God did not stop loving David. Even though David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he had her husband murdered and later conducted an unauthorized, pride-motivated census of Israel. David suffered greatly for his sins, but when he cried out in sincere, in sincere repentance, God forgave him, and God restored him to fellowship. God did not stop loving David. God did not stop loving Jonah. Even though Jonah refused to take God's saving message to Nineveh, after his experience in the belly of the great fish, we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. God gave Jonah another chance to obey. And Jonah went on to preside over one of the greatest revivals in history. God did not stop loving Jonah. God did not stop loving Peter. Even though Peter denied Jesus three times, the Lord restored Peter to fellowship by matching his threefold denial with a threefold recommissioning in John 21, 15 through 17. God's love is faithful. God's love endures. God's love is great. He does not stop loving us. In his book, When Christ Comes, Max Lucado recounts a true story that came after that horrific, uh, a horrific earthquake. Moments after a deadly tremor ceased, there was a great earthquake. I'm picking up after that. There was a great earthquake, and moments after a deadly tremor ceased, a father raised to an elementary school to save his son. When he arrived, he saw that the building had been leveled. Looking at the mass of stones and rubble, He remembered a promise he had made to his child. The father made a promise to his child. He said, no matter what happens, I'll always be there for you. Driven by his own promise, he found the area closest to his son's room, and he began to pull back the rocks. Other parents arrived and began sobbing for their children. It's too late, they told the man. You know they're dead. You can't help. Even a police officer encouraged them to give up the task. But the father refused for eight days. Hours, then 16, then 32, then 36 hours, he dug. His hands were raw and his energy gone, but he refused to quit. Finally, after 38 wrenching hours, he pulled back a boulder and heard his son's voice. He called his boy's name, Armin. Armin, Armin, and a voice answered him, Dad, it's me. Then the boy added these priceless words. I told the other kids not to worry, I told them if you were alive, you'd save me. And when you saved me, they'd be saved too, because you promised, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. 
One writer writes, when I read that story, I was reminded of the promise we have been given from the Lord. In Hebrews 13, five through six, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God himself has promised that he would never leave or forsake us. No matter what may come our way, we can face it with confidence, knowing that we are never alone. And when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. And he has faithful, enduring, loyal love for us. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your loyal love for us. It's a loyal love that we just can't completely understand. I can't completely understand it for sure. And I don't think we ever will. In fact, your word says in Ephesians 3 that we cannot understand the great love of God. But we know your love is faithful. Your love endures. Certainly sometimes we may not feel that way, but we see in your word that it is faithful, that your love does endure. Lord God, I pray that you would encourage this congregation today. Encourage us of your loyal love. Encourage us, remind us that your love is like that, Father. You're always there for us. You're always there for us. You want us to cry out to you. You cause or allow some, you cause or allow all things, all things. And I pray that you would help and support and encourage us as we trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close in prayer, uh, as we close the song, the service in song, the altars are open, just a reminder. The other one I wanted to share, uh, Jerry Nolder's daughter, I forgot this earlier, Wendy is having surgery Friday for breast cancer. And please remember her in prayer. And I would like to pray for her surgery right now. Uh, Lord God, we just lift up Wendy as she goes to surgery this Friday, that you would give her peace and help the surgery go well and provide a swift, swift healing. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the altars are open and we would have people that would just love to pray for you and pray with you about anything on your mind, on your heart. You're able to stand with us.